This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This is going to go into the woo-woo, if that's cool with you guys. Love the woo-woo. <laughs> love it. Okay. Welcome to Nirvana Sisters, where we discuss all things health and well-being to help you achieve your highest state, your nirvana. Hi, I'm Amy Sherman, a marketing exec with a passion for wellness and beauty. Hi, I'm Katie Chandler, a former fit model that has a passion for health and fitness. We are sisters-in-law who share the same love for well-being, ready to sift through all the self-care noise and bring you a splash of what we think is fun. So let's get started. In today's episode, we sit down with the ever-inspiring Ashley Ray, founder and CEO of Mala Collective. She's been featured in LA Times and Goop. Ashley and I met on a business trip in Venice, Italy over a year ago, and she is just so grounded, so calm, and a fierce businesswoman. And she gives us some great tips about her morning routine. She gives us some easy ways to meditate, and she also gives us a sneak peek into her new business launching in April. Take a listen and enjoy. Welcome to Nirvana Sisters. In today's episode, we are blessed to be able to speak with Ashley Ray, who's the founder and CEO of Mala Collective, who make beautiful products that inspire meditation. And we are so excited to hear her story. So welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. Absolutely. I am wearing my mala beads, as you can see. I'm wearing all my bracelets and my necklace, feeling really peaceful and balanced today. Good, good. I love that. So we're going to start off with our weekly Nirvana, and we're excited to have Ashley talk to us about what her Nirvana was, but I will start. My Nirvana of the week was really actually thinking back because my son's birthday was this week. He just turned 14 and a year ago was his bar mitzvah. And we were probably one of the last people to have his bar mitzvah with all of our family and friends close to us without the pandemic. We really got lucky. And I just feel very blessed that we were able to have that and share that experience together before the world turned upside down. And it's also really relevant to have Ashley on because I don't know if you remember Ashley, but like a year ago, I reached out to you because I want to get mala bracelets for my son for his bar mitzvah. And I got him too. And I was just thinking back when I gave them to him because I got him these two blue mala bracelets. One was dark and one was light and they stood for different things. One I think was being brave and courageous and the other one was being peaceful or something. And he really loved them so much. When I gave it to him, I gave it to him the night before his bar mitzvah. And he just loved them, put them on right away and just had them on his whole bar mitzvah during his service was I saw him using them in the way they should be used. So it just made me really happy. And he, you know, still has them on his nightstand and wears them. It's just looking back at that gave me a really happy feeling and feeling really grateful that we were able to have that celebration because who knows when we'll all be able to get together like that again. So that was my Nirvana of the week. And I'll let Katie talk about hers. Well, first of all, I want to say hi, Ashley. I'm so excited that you're here. I can't wait to hear everything. Amy, yeah, I love that one because I was there and you're right. It was such a special day. It was really the fact that that was like our last kickoff before this pandemic. It was a great way to blow it out. My Nirvana of the week is related to the space I'm in right now. My little humble office, I have it just about complete and I spent the last week working on it. I know you probably can't see much, but behind me, I have a nice little meditation space and I've got my little podcasting space over here. And, you know, I still need a couple things on the walls and maybe a nice rug, but to have my own space, 
I made the kids, I have, I have two girls, Ashley, I made them come in and put their hands on their hearts and say a pledge of, I will not go into mommy's space. I will not touch mommy's things. I will not bring toys <laughs> into mommy's office. <laughs> it's so far oh working because they take over everything else. You know, like my bed is now their bed. My bathroom is their bath. I mean, they really, they come in, which I love, but I said, mommy needs this space to herself. So it's Aww. been great. Yeah. What's yours, Ashley? Oh, I love that share from both of you. Thank you. What a beautiful way to kick this off. I would say my Nirvana this week has been getting out in nature. Every morning mm. I go for a two-hour walk on the ocean by myself and listen to meditations and just that movement. I can tell we're getting back into spring that I wake up and I jump out of bed and I want to move and get outside and just, you know, moving my body and dropping out of my head and dropping down into my body and getting into my hips and that springing forward of movement and releasing. I feel like this week has shifted into spring that my body knows it before the seasons have changed. So I'm feeling very grateful for that connection. That's beautiful. Nice. All right. Well, we are excited to get to know you. So let's kick into the quick fire questions because your story is so exciting and I want to get straight to it. So first question, being the CEO of Mala Collective and also, you know, a meditator, you're very into meditation. What came first? Did Mala Collective inspire the meditation or did the meditation inspire Mala? Mala Collective came first, which is such a funny question because most people assume I had a really deep meditation practice before I started Mala, but Mala started due to a very serendipitous meeting. So I, I, my life has changed in the most profound and beautiful ways since starting Mala, which I'm so grateful for. What is your professional background then? What were you doing before Mala Collective? I was a journalist. So I was actually covering murder trials before I started Mala. Oh my gosh. Wow. The opposite version of life. And I remember the first time I wrote an article about meditation, I thought, oh, this is so much better. I love this so much more. That's wild. So so that that one article kind of just like inspired you and took you in a completely different direction. Like what what was the, the driving force to start? So I my partner and I at the time, we had, I guess you'd call it a quarter life crisis and we had achieved all of our goals. We were in our early twenties and we quit our jobs, went backpacking, ended up in Bali where most people end up when they're on some form of a soul searching journey. And so we ended up in Bali, fell in love with these mala beads and we were flying from Bali to Thailand. And a woman came up to us on the plane and said, excuse me, your aura is so beautiful. Can I sit and talk to you? We start talking to her and it turns out she is the woman that made the jewelry that we had bought. So it was wow. a very serendipitous uh, collision of lives. And her story was that her guru wanted to get the beads to the West because they embody peace. And we said, oh, we love peace. We're from the West. We'll help you. And so that was that was how Mala Collective started. And as I said, meditation wasn't a practice in my life. I was deep into yoga and exploring mindfulness, but it, it hadn't become a daily practice uh, so that really shifted into this journey of curiosity around what is meditation and what is mindfulness. And I guess that journalistic curiosity lent itself really beautifully to that curiosity diving into meditation. Wow. I got chills when you, the airplane story, that's, that's yeah. really something. So you're also teaching meditation then, is that right? How long have you been doing that? Oh, well, so Mala Collective, it's our 10 year anniversary this year, which is wild to me. Congratulations. And thank you. It feels That's like incredible. 
Thank you. When I tell that story about the plane and journalism, it feels like a different version of myself in a different lifetime. And so during those 10 years, I've spent a lot of time traveling to Bali and India and Nepal and taking meditation trainings around the world, New York and LA. And in the past couple of years, maybe the past even three or four years, I've really dove into my own practice so that I can hold space and teach for people. And, you know, a lot of what we make at Mala, it's Mala beads, meditation cushions, crystals. You don't need any of those things to meditate. You don't need anything that we make. You just need your breath. And for me, the experience of meditation, I love this business so much, but I want to be able to help people on their journey and support them. So with all of our products, you get a free meditation already. And we offer a ton of free meditation through Mala. This for me became my own personal journey and purpose of I want to be able to connect with people in that way. So I've started teaching, but I also have started coaching women in business and men in business, but really around stepping into purpose and really finding a way to incorporate purpose, service, and, you know, finding their higher selves through their life journey. So it's all kind of intertwined the past couple of years and refining into more teaching. Mm, it's so inspirational. We're going to get into some more topics with you, but before we begin, I also failed to say, because I also have to brag about Ashley in that she's been featured in Forbes. I saw that article and I know it came out recently and I was so proud to see it. You've been in LA Times, you've been in Goop. So while she is this amazing meditation woman, she is a fierce businesswoman. And I really admire that so much about you that you sort of have both sides to you. So we'll get into that a little bit more. But my question is really around, do you only practice Japa meditation or have you experimented with others? Oh, that's a great question. So I love trying as many forms of meditation as possible. And that's that for me is such a curiosity when I'm traveling to try meditations in Nepal, to try them in different areas in India, to try them in Bali, to understand that there's no right or wrong way to meditate. Because I think when most people start meditating, I hear two things. I know I should do it, but I do it wrong. Or I tried it once and I did it really bad, so I never did it again. <laughs> we have this extreme self-judgment around what meditation should look like and what it needs to be. So for me, trying to understand all different forms of meditation removes that shame and removes that barrier because it's it's meant to be accessible. It's, it can be really beautiful. It can be really light. It can be really playful. So for me to learn as many different forms as possible allows me to reteach it in a way that says, if this doesn't work, then you can try this. And if this doesn't work, that's okay. It really just comes back to being kinder to ourselves when our mind starts to wander and having more compassion and self-love and more kindness, whether that's Japa meditation, whether that's using a mantra, whether that's walking meditation, it's all practice of, of self-love. Hmm. I can really relate to that because I think actually before I had these beads, I didn't really think about it, but I probably did do walks and breathing and that was considered meditation. But for some reason, when I first acquired these beads, it helped me because it helped me focus because I would sit there just for five minutes and just kind of go through the beads. Like I was saying before with my son, same thing, because whenever I try to get my kids to do anything like that, they roll their eyes. But if I can get them to think about it in different ways, I agree with you. I think any meditation is good meditation, but I think also having a tool can sometimes be really helpful. I found these to be helpful. And I've also found these crystals to be really just grounding to me. And we also actually, Ashley, we had reviewed your meditation cushion in episode two, talking about how that really brings peace and just another way to have that in your private space. 
I know for myself, I have tried uh, different meditations like over the last year, especially with the pandemic, I was obviously having a hard time. And that's when I first started trying it. And I just kept failing. Like I just didn't, I didn't know how to do it right. Just something wasn't working. And then recently I decided, well, why don't I make it more ritualistic? And I created a little space. And then I also found out that a mantra does help. And so that's, that has been helping me a lot. And I've been able to do it almost every day for about a month now, which I'm really excited about. But the the question that just popped up that I wanted to ask you, for people when they're meditating that have a hard time shutting out their thoughts, do you find commonly that a lot of people think I'm not supposed to be thinking anything when in fact, what I've been trying to do is if I have a thought, I like watch it go away like a cloud. And I'm finding that to be helpful. Is that what's the right thing to say to someone that's concerned about that? Yeah. I mean, I think, thank you for that share. I think that's everybody's experience. And this, this idea that we're not meant to have thoughts in meditation is what makes it really intimidating. So we're going to have thoughts. Let's say you're meditating for 10 minutes. Maybe you're going to have a hundred thoughts. It's completely normal. And being able to have a focal point like your mala or your mantra or your breath gives you somewhere to come back to when your mind starts to wander. But when your mind's wandering out here and you realize your way out there, that's the moment that you can come back to your focal point with kindness or with love or judge yourself and go, oh my gosh, I'm the worst meditator. I shouldn't be doing this because it's going to happen again 10 seconds later, then 30 seconds later, then 40 seconds later. The point is not to have no thoughts. I would say when we're approaching meditation, you can look at it as not allowing yourself to get hooked on those thoughts. So as you mentioned, seeing a thought go past you, maybe you're really hungry and you're thinking about dinner. Okay, what am I going to cook tonight? What am I going to eat tonight? You can either spiral down comparing like sushi or if you want to make chicken or something and go down that path or you can go I'll think about that later and just come back and then maybe you hear a dog barking outside and you try and figure out what dog is or you just come back so how how far does that thought hook us and how much faster can we earn I want to say faster but how can we come back with more kindness and compassion and instead of thinking I have to have no thoughts in meditation Maybe one day you have 100 thoughts. Maybe the next day you have 90. And maybe the next day you have 80. And as we're creating more space between our thoughts, that's where we get those aha moments and we can drop in just a little bit deeper. You know, when you're in the shower or you're washing dishes or you're driving and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that thing. It's because we're getting into that space between our thoughts where it's not busy, go, go, go. We're just finding that calm moment. So you're going to have thoughts. That's that's not the problem. It's it's normal. There's no shame in having thoughts. It's letting them go with a little bit more ease and coming back with a little bit more love. Mm. So it's just, again, that practice of kindness to yourself and not spiraling and not getting hooked. And I mean, it is a practice. I've been doing it for 10 years and there's days where I feel super hooked in meditations and really agitated and replay conversations. And then there's days where I have really beautiful visions and one is not better. One is not worse. It is a reflection of where we're at that day. And if we're having, you know, a really stressful day, maybe more thoughts will come up and we get to just witness those thoughts. So neither is the right way and neither is the wrong way. It just, oh, I sound so woo woo. It just is. <laughs> it just is. <laughs> it, it totally makes, it totally makes sense. And do you find that people or do you have a daily practice, a weekly? I try to do something every day, but I don't have a lot of patience. So I just say to myself, okay, if I can do five minutes, if I can do two minutes, if I can do one minute, it's something rather than nothing. So what is your recommendation for 
the cadence of how you do it? Or is it just intuitive? I would say, you know, there's a few things behind that. I often get asked how to build a meditation practice when you're just starting out. And I would say a few of the tips that are the easiest, tie it to a habit you've already developed. So you don't have to go and build a brand new habit because that takes quite a bit of time and quite a bit of um, discipline to build. So maybe if you're putting on the kettle for tea in the morning or you're putting the coffee pot on, that becomes the moment, okay, I'm going to go meditate for three minutes. Next, I would say try and put it around the same time every day and then start small. Maybe it's two minutes, maybe it's four minutes and go up to six and go up to eight. And if you miss a day, then it's okay. We have this all or nothing mentality around meditation. And when we do, we do a lot of free, like seven, 21, 30 day meditation challenges. And we notice if somebody misses one day, they often don't come back because they start judging themselves. Oh, I missed a day. I, I'm so bad at this. I'm not going to even bother. And just that compassion, just come back, just keep coming back, keep coming back, even if you miss a day. And if you're finding you have a lot of energy and you know that feeling when you've had too much coffee in the morning and you're just like way up here in your head and you're not in your body, you can go for a walk or do something where it's movement so you can get into your body or do something physical first. Do like 10 jumping jacks and then sit down. One of my teachers in India was sharing to do a workout before meditation is really powerful because it opens up your energy points, opens up your chakras, and then allows you to drop in and dive into your body a little bit deeper when you're actually in the practice. So maybe it's some physical movement to help you get into your practice. There's, There's so many approaches and none of them are wrong. And it sounds like from what you're saying is whatever works for you and whatever feels good is the right thing. And I think it's really important to think about that. Because you're right. So many people are like, I don't have time. It's this, it's not accessible. But if you want it to be accessible, you make it work and you work it around your day. And I like that idea of doing it at the same time every day and tying it into a ritual. I never thought about that. So I really appreciate that advice. So you've mentioned India and Bali, and I know you are quite the traveler. How has that influenced your meditation practice and your business? I mean, obviously, it's been massively influential on the business. Yeah, you know, I would say a few things. It's it's really helped us. Well, we make all of our products in those areas. So that's, you know, foundationally, it's very important for me uh, and the business. And it is so inspiring to go to different areas in the world and gain perspective. And for me, going to places like Nepal and Bali and India and being encompassed by mindfulness and different approaches just reminds me of the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? And it's so it's it's profoundly important. And it has been a struggle not being able to go in the past year or so. And being able to stay in one place is that practice of staying and being still that we teach at Mala. So for me, trying to relearn that and be in my body for a year and stay in one place for a year has been its own profound practice that is uncomfortable, just like meditation is really uncomfortable. But staying here has been uncomfortable and really beautiful and really healing in a lot of ways. So I deeply miss those areas of the world. And I'm really grateful for the year of staying in one place. Yeah, I can appreciate all of that. So you have also been business coaching. What what drove you into that direction? Oh, that's a good question. So I, as I mentioned, it's been 10 years for Mala. And I this is going to go into the woo-woo, if that's cool with you guys. Love the woo-woo. <laughs> love it. Okay. I I have a shaman in Bali who I've been seeing for years. And I think about four or five years ago, he said to me that my purpose is to speak and teach 
and help other people find their purpose. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> like being behind my laptop and nobody knowing who I am. I don't want to put myself out there. That's so vulnerable. And for 10 years, I've been able to be behind Mala and nobody really know who I am. And I really like that because it's not about me. It's this business is so much bigger than me. And the past couple of years, it's come up more and more different coaches, different intuitives, different psychics. And they're saying word for word what my shaman said to me, an oracle on the Upper West Side that I have in New York. Like they, They're all repeating the same language, which is very wild when you hear it from so many wow. different people. And so I, I truly believe when we have this purpose that is bigger than us and we're connecting to our higher selves, it's going to show up, show up, show up and push you more and more and more until you step into it. And I would say last year, you know, the gift of being still is that I really dropped into my practice in a different way, not traveling. And it came up for me in so many meditations, so many visualizations, so many journaling sessions of, I know what my purpose is and what am I doing? Why am I avoiding it? I need to step into this. And so there was a very uncomfortable few months in the fall of last year where I was sharing to my business groups, I'm hearing voices, I'm seeing visions, and I'm, I'm being pulled and I can't verbalize it. And they said, we don't get it, but we love you. <laughs> We're going to hold space <laughs> for you to do it. So it's only, it's quite new. It's only been the past few months. And I, I can't believe I waited so long because it is the most rewarding experience to be able to speak with other people about their own journeys and knowing that you can create a really successful business that has purpose, that has this service to others to help lift them up on their journey. And you're allowed to make money that way. And you're allowed to welcome in abundance and be in your divine feminine. And, you know, the and, and, and it's just been, I feel so grateful and I feel so rewarded um, stepping into this. And it feels very much in purpose as much as Mala still feels in purpose I also have an incredible team that brings it to life in a way that I, you know, it's, it is so much bigger than me. Their vision is so beautiful. And simultaneously we're launching a kid's company in a month for kids meditation and they're bringing that to life. And so I have, it's so sweet. And I'm realizing, oh, my power is the vision and, and allowing people to step into their power, to bring it to life. Like what a gift for me to know where my strengths are and where their strengths are. And, so that's its own practice. And I mean, it took it took quite a few years to get there, to know that, the purpose and to step into it. And the fear of stepping into purpose is shedding an old identity as well. So there was a lot of healing and a lot of work that needed to happen. So I'm, I'm in it right now, which is probably why I'm rambling, because it's a new thing to talk about. <laughs> so it's all happening. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. And I want to hear more about that. But you just said this thing about the kids meditation. And I'm really interested in that because I've been feeling that way for years. And I've talked to a lot of people about how I think kids really need mindful practices. I know some schools do bring that into their curriculum, not enough in my opinion. So I'm really excited if you can give us a little sneak peek on that. Yes. It's called Little Booty. It is the sweetest, it is so, we were joking that our tagline is going to be, it's so stinking cute. Because every time we see the product, like, oh, it's so stinking cute. Uh, so it's meditation cushions and meditation. So there's a cushion in the shape of a sloth, in the shape of a cloud, and in all these different animals and objects to help inspire kids to just take a moment and and connect to their breath and be able to express their feelings and emotions and find the right words. And this is something that I've known for years we wanted to do, but then when the pandemic started, seeing parents at home with their kids 
very much as you share, Katie, having all of the spaces are shared. Everyone's, you know, on top of each other. The office is the living room is the kids play area, which is the dining room. It's all, it's all merging into this oneness. And how can we teach children how to find their breath and slow down and connect to themselves? So that really became the moment of, okay, it's time to bring this vision to life now. So it is very sweet. It's launching in April. Um, and each cushion and piece is going to have its own meditation and a little story time guide meditation and um, lots of resources for breath work and mindfulness. So it's it's a new world and I'm so excited. And it's very sweet to see the cushions, as you mentioned earlier, to see parents sending in, oh, my kids love this cushion. They love meditating with me or they remind me when it's time to meditate. So it's all it's all organically and naturally happening. And I think it's empowering kids to find that state in themselves. It's so it's so beautiful. It's such a gift. I love that. That is really exciting. My, um, I just started meditating with my seven-year-old and because she's been very reactive and she has ADHD and we're only at like two minutes a night in bed. But I have genuinely noticed a difference. We're about a week and a half in and she has just been more calm during the day and less reactive. And where she used to explode if she dropped food all over the ground, instead, she just kind of giggled the other day. And that was, it like filled my heart because I felt like, okay, this is working. That also just reminded me of something that I saw once that said, if every child right now meditated, we'd be a generation or two away from world peace. And I just thought that was so powerful. I just got so the chill. Yeah, it's so true. And you know, your your little kids' products are hopefully going to get us there. So that's really great. Yes. It was it was so inspiring to do our photo shoot and all of the kids that came in knew how to meditate and they all meditated so differently. Two of the boys sat down and started chanting Om Shanti right away. And another little girl starting to find my breath. And they and they all approached it so differently from two to seven to twelve. They all had a different approach. And they all just dropped right into it. And I thought, what a gift that these kids already know this. And one of the moms came up and said, I hope you know how many lives are going to change teaching kids to meditate. And I just feel so excited to to bring that to life and to share those those gifts with parents as well. You know, this is a gift for, for the entire family uh, to be able to share that moment. I can't wait. That is so exciting. Congrats on that. I just think that is such an incredible perspective and I'm really excited to see that launch. In fact, I will definitely be one of your first customers because I need to get that for my boys. I mean, the way that I get them to kind of calm down at night is I'll put on bird sounds on their Alexas in their room. And that's the only way I can kind of get them to be still. And I'm like, just listen to the birds. And that's my way of getting them to kind of meditate and calm. But I think if I have something like that, so they have a space at night just to just calm down, I think that will just make it even better. So I'm super excited to hear that. I'm super excited to hear that. So Moving on, I want to hear more about your business a bit, but before I'm also just so interested being that you've had Mala for 10 years and you're such a successful CEO and businesswoman, I want to hear most about what you enjoy about running Mala and then also what your least favorite thing is. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, My favorite thing is coming up with the visions of what's next. I just think that's the funnest thing. So designing products and 
actually my favorite thing is playing with the crystals and the gemstones, touching Mm -hmm. these crystals and realizing this comes out of the earth naturally Mm -hmm. like this. What an absolute beautiful thing. Like what it, it doesn't feel real after 10 years. Every time I touch a new crystal, I just am in absolute awe that they can form that way in the earth. What, how cool is that? So I I love the vision. I love the, the creation and designing my least favorite thing. Holy, that has changed a lot over the years. You know, we used to do everything from, from the ground up when, when the business first started, like put the little hang tags on the malas and go to the post office and ship everything out. I think right now what I'm learning the most around is finance. And I think there's this like fear around money because it's not money is not one of my values nor is it the driving thing that pushes me so I kind of almost like avoid the conversations around it or don't face it as head-on I get quite avoidant around it and now I have this incredible bookkeeper and accountant that approaches it with such love and kindness and doesn't make me feel stupid it just approaches it as yeah let's I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it to you like you're in kindergarten but with a lot of love so it makes me feel much more safe. Um, so I would say I'm, I'm learning, I want to say I'm learning to love it. I'm learning to not avoid it as much. But there's been other areas, you know, I've, I've overcome a lot around hiring used to be my least favorite and onboarding and like uh, managing people because I was a journalist before. That's me behind a laptop on my own and managing a team. You know, at one point I had this team of about 20 people I walked into my office and we had this version of what, you know, we, we would have defined as success as beautiful office, downtown, organic food delivery. People could bring their puppies in. And it was this really cool place to meditate with this meditation lounge. And I realized, oh, I don't like this at all. I don't like being the first person and the last person out having to dress a certain way, having to know the answer to everyone's questions. Cause I don't know what I'm doing. I'm also trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So that version of success that I had been chasing when it manifested, I realized, oh, I, this is not my version of success. That was everybody else's version of success. So I said to the team, I want to go remote. And this is about four or five years ago now. I want to go remote. I think I want to be able to travel again because that for me was being in Bali, being in India, being in Nepal is what inspired me. And that's why I started the business so I could experience those places. So I said to my team, I want to go remote. My girlfriend came in the next day to look at the office. She said, I love your space. I said, great. Do you want to take it? Yeah, I think I do. So she took the space within the next month. And within 30 days, we are a remote company. And that was this alignment of purpose of values. It just, you know, so now I'm very clear on what my version of success is and what my values are and how I want to spend my time. So it's been a cool journey. That's really important to think about. And that really resonated with me when you just said my version of success, because you're right. So many people think about you have to have an office, you have to be there at a certain time, you have to leave. And I think a lot has changed in a good way from the pandemic and people are realizing you can really work from anywhere, which I've tried to always do. I've always tried to work from home one day a week and do different things like that. But I think it's really important when people, businesses are starting out or like Katie and I starting this podcast, it's like, what is our version of success? It doesn't have to be what other people think it should be. And I think listening to your gut like you did is so, so important and we forget to do it. Um, So that's a really good reminder. So thank you for that. I'll add one more thing on that, Amy, is that when we're following our passion in that way and what our version of success is, sometimes people will share their feedback that we're doing it wrong. 
And I remember when I was going remote now, of course, it's standard to be a remote company. But four years ago, the majority of the feedback I got was, "Was your is your business going under? Are you okay? Are you struggling? And so that feedback was, was shaming that decision. And I thought, no, I know my vision of my vision and my version of success clear enough that I'm going to pursue it. Even if other people are telling me I'm doing it wrong. And now on the other side of that, it is so funny to see the rest of the world switching into that uh, mindset. So it's okay to follow your dreams and your version of success, even before it's normalized by everybody else. I think that is, um, a really beautiful lesson when we're all figuring out entrepreneurship and what our version of success is, even if it doesn't align with the normalized version of success. Absolutely. And you have to the point to your team, everyone's working remotely, but did I read that your uh, Mala Collective is, is female driven? You, you hire mostly females, if not all females, how rewarding that must be. How has that impacted your life and how have you seen it impact and empower these women's lives? Oh, it's so special. I think there's, there is something about, you know, I believe we all have the divine feminine in us and this team that I work with, they love Mala with so much depth and they believe in what we're doing with so much depth that even if I'm having an off day, they'll pull me back on and they'll remind me of what we're doing. And so it is, it is super rewarding. It is, um, it is such a gift to work with people that I love so deeply. And, you know, six years ago, I never would have thought that I was in such a place of turmoil and self-judgment of how I was showing up as a leader. So this is, I'm in awe of the, of the team I get to work with. It is just the most special thing. And it also is really weird being the boss because some days, like I forget that I am the boss and it can be really lonely being the boss. I remember they used to go out for lunches without me and I was like, oh yeah, I'm, but I think I'm a cool boss. <laughs> so, you know, now I feel very aligned with my team and I adore them and we have a, a really good relationship and um, yeah, I just feel really grateful. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Congratulations on that. So going back to the business coaching, which is new for you and I'm thrilled to hear that you listen to your gut again and listen to your guidance and are doing something that you're getting so much from and you're so passionate about. What types of people are you coaching and is it all sorts of industries or how are you going about that? Yeah, there. I would say they go into two buckets. One is people wanting coaching on self-love and their own practices. So how can I whether it's starting meditation practice or love my body more or any version of self-love, that is a really popular topic. And I, I really like that topic. So there's a lot of tools and practices around that. And the other half is I know I'm meant to be doing something and I, I'm kind of stuck. and I don't know how to bring it to life or I have this idea and we get so caught up in the how versus the why. So I try to bring people back to their why, back to the purpose, back to the bigger vision, breaking it down, getting clarity, and then taking the little steps. Because when we have this big vision outside of ourselves, we often get blocked. But how on earth am I going to get there? What do I have to do next? The how and the what blocks us. So bringing back the why, bringing back you know the heart-centeredness, and then getting into the how. Because the how, everything is on Google. You can Google how to do everything. <laughs> so it's, it's bringing that big picture down to the clarity of this moment. Um, and it's, I'm actually coaching men and women, people that are starting businesses, people that want to scale their businesses, start online courses, um, 
And I am really passionate about women in business. Only 4% of female-owned businesses surpass a million dollars. And I want more women to surpass a million dollars. It is, you know, women deserve to be in that position. And oftentimes women give their power away when they're starting a business thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. I don't know the next step. And so the coaching that I'm doing is not telling them what to do or how to do it. It's empowering them that they actually already know the answers. We all already know what we, what we have to do next or our next step. Sometimes we just need permission from somebody else or that sharing of that mirroring back of, yeah, you've got this, you've got this and you are so strong. You are so beautiful. You are so powerful. You are so capable. And it's that holding up a mirror to empower somebody to take those next steps. So personally, I work with coaches. I have a couple coaches a week. So that's the gift that I receive. And I've realized how powerful it is to me. So I want to share that with others. It's so true. It's accountability also, like having that accountability partner, someone to riff off of, right? To just, you know, kind of support you up and say, yeah, you can do this. This is how you do it. You got it, right? Absolutely. And it's proven right before a big meeting, our work will go way up. So, you know, we have our team meeting on Tuesdays. Everybody's hustling on a Monday afternoon to get their stuff done for Tuesday meetings. And before every session I have with my coaches, it's, you don't want to show up to a coaching session without your work done. So it is that accountability partner uh, with an accountability with a lot of love and a lot of compassion. Nice. So what does the day, a day in the life of Ashley Ray, of this like super mindful and intentional living, like what, what does it feel like to be you for a day? Cause it seems you just are so <laughs> grounded and peaceful and happy. And what do you do all day? Oh my goodness. Well, I'm so glad I come across like that. There's, there's obviously there's days where there's low days. And I mean, there's days where I just give myself permission to close my blinds and watch Netflix. So there's, you know, every day is a little bit different. Um, but I would say I, I work with this coach. He, he advised five U S presidents and he shared with me how to create a really strong morning routine. So for the past two years, I've had the same morning routine, wake up 10 minutes of gratitude journaling, 10 minutes of reflective journaling, and then listening or reading something new. So whether that's a podcast or an audio book, and then doing some physical movement. So often I'll wake up, I'll do my gratitude journaling, some reflective journaling, and then I'll put on an audio book and go for a walk. So the past week or 10 days has been walking. And I also like during COVID bought like a little trampoline so I could get some physical movement in the mornings. And so I would say that that for me has shifted what my days look like drastically. And I remember saying to him, are you sure that's, that's the biggest secret to success is that morning routine. That sounds kind of like really easy. (laughs) I don't believe you. There must be this bigger secret. And I noticed doing gratitude journaling in the morning that has shifted my mindset into abundance and love and gratitude for everybody and possibility. And that whole mindset shift my team has recognized like your, your language has shifted so much. Your energy has shifted so much. The way I speak to my friends and my family, my baristas, anybody, anybody that I interact with. So I would say that that has probably been the biggest transformation around what my day looks like. And then the rest of the day, you know, I, I take a few meetings, um, do a bit of creative work. I do a lot of strategy work. So I, that again, that coach shared with me as a CEO, his opinion is your only job is to do the strategy and the big picture work. So I usually spend about 30 to 45 minutes a day doing 
what is the what does the future look like and what I want it to look like. And I noticed actually doing that really close to my gratitude practice allows for really big thinking versus if I do my strategy in the afternoon, I'm usually firefighting and, you know, putting out the fires from the morning. So I try to tie my strategy session to before I open my inbox. So it has nothing to do with being reactive. Um, and then I go for a walk in the evening. I'm, I'm very grateful to be outside and get out in nature. Vancouver is, you know, we're so lucky in the mountains and on the water over here. So beautiful. And I, I know Katie has a really consistent morning routine and I try, so it's good to hear that. And I wrote down some tips to, to start doing again. We love hearing about it. So we are going to shift into our quick wrap session to close things out. And I have a couple quick questions for you. What is your favorite wellness or beauty hack? Ooh, I wouldn't even call this a hack. I don't know. The first thing that came up was sleep. <laughs> <laughs> good one. So much happier when I've had a good sleep and I feel so much better in my body when I've had a good sleep. That is, that is the most important. I mean, sleep is medicine. That's what I tell my kids. It's so important. Okay. And then a fun question we like to ask is our five minute flow. So here's a scenario for you, right? You just got out of the shower, you're drying off and Uber just pinged you and said, they're five minutes away. So what is your quick beauty routine? So like, what do you put on? What are your go-tos, your holy grails to get yourself together and get out of the house on time before that Uber pulls up in your driveway? Oh, a hat. Always a hat because if I don't have time to do my hair. <laughs> Good one. Good one. So a hat, a mala, of course. Probably throw on a dress and some sneakers. Like, keep it easy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember somebody said to me once, the moments that you don't feel feminine, you don't feel beautiful is the moment to like throw a dress on and like convince yourself of that feeling and then you can step into it more. So I, I'm a big I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And we got um, a peek into this before, but how do you maintain your daily nirvana? What keeps you going? Ooh. I think the journaling, the movement, and of course meditation, you know, the one thing I didn't include in my morning routine is I'm really lucky. I have a meditation space in my apartment and sometimes I'll do my emails in there and then just take a break and, you know, being able to have a physical space, a sacred space in my apartment that I can retreat to whenever I need that has helped me so, so much. Is your meditation space sacred to you in that if we asked you for a screenshot of it, you would send it to us because I mean, oh, actually writing a meditation space, I got to see course. it. <laughs> of course. I mean, I, I also love hosting meditation. So when, you know, when before COVID, the COVID world hit, I really love that idea and concept of holding space for others. And I'll host meditations, birthday meditations, whatever meditations, full moon, like whatever the thing is being able to bring people together and sit together. I, of course, you know, I know somebody who makes meditation cushions, so I have access <laughs> to a whole bunch of meditation cushions. Um, it is, it is so beautiful. And I think part of that won't translate in the photo is the amount of love and good juju that's in here. Cause there's been so many happy tears, sad tears, breakthrough tears, hugs, and, you know, moments of absolute joy and nirvana and breakthroughs and leveling up that have happened here. And I'm just so grateful for that space, not just for myself, but be able to be able to hold that for others too. Mm, I love that. That's great. Yeah, we would love to see it. Well, Ashley, thank you so much. This has been so divine. I Do you want to stick around for the product review? I think Amy's got a fun one to. for us. Great. Okay, Absolutely. what do you have? So I have a quick little 
found it on TikTok review that I, I shared a little photo last night on Instagram and I'll talk about it more today, but it is the Maybelline Sky High Mascara, which Katie knows I'm obsessed with. I found it on TikTok and I'm always looking for a good hack. And first of all, the bottle's super cute. So not that that's the most important thing, but it's rose gold. And it's just like, when you look at it, it puts you in a good mood. So that's number one. But number two, it's honestly the most amazing mascara that I have used in years. And it's like when you put it on, your eyelashes get so long and they don't even look real. And I was showing Katie, I put on one layer the other day and it made such a difference. So Maybelline Sky High Mascara, I think it's around $5. I got it at my local CVS, although it was sold out many times when I went there because I think it's gotten very popular because of TikTok. But today I put on a few layers. But the funny thing was I saw my mom the other day and she said to me, are you wearing fake eyelashes? And I was like, no, mom, I'm just wearing this new mascara. So I was like, okay, it's working because she noticed and she sees me all the time. Anyway, it's just a fun little hack and easy, accessible mascara that I highly recommend to everyone. So we'll put more info on it on our Instagram, but super fun. And moving into that, we have Ashley, who is going to close out our show with a mantra. And we are just blessed to have you giving us our mantra and closing out our show for us. Oh, thank you. If I could share a mantra that we can repeat when we're walking or in meditation or having a stressful day, the mantra would be, I am enough. And just simply reminding ourselves that we already have everything that we are seeking within ourselves. It is just creating the space to bring it forward. Amen to that. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. We love talking to you. I could talk to you all day. I feel like your energy, we can feel it through the video and your calmness just brings us calmness and really inspires us. So thank you so much for joining us and for sharing all your wisdom. And we are just very, very blessed and happy to have you as an honorary Nirvana sister. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Nirvana sisters. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes, please subscribe and leave us a review. Also, find us on Instagram at Nirvana Sisters. If you loved what you just listened to or know someone that would, please share it and tag us. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of Nirvana Sisters. We'll continue to watch out for all things wellness so you don't have to. Bye.